Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. Amen. Special welcome to those of you joining online. It's great to have you. If you're watching just the sermon today, uh, today is Pentecost. Our main text for the sermon, which we just read here in service, is Acts chapter 2, as well as a nod back to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, which is also an assigned reading for today. You ever had a dum-dum? You know, those little lollipops you get at, like, the bank or, like, uh, not the dentist, but, you know, like, those that feel like they probably maybe could not have a stick and be just fine because they're so small, right? Um, as a kid, I loved the mystery flavor of dum-dums because it's, like, an actual different flavor each time, uh, unlike other candies where they basically just created something that can only exist in a laboratory. And, like, there is no known flavor in the natural world that tastes like this. So it's a mystery flavor, right? I'm looking at you airheads. That's how they do their thing. Um, but dum-dums, I just learned this, actually. Dum-dums, the reason they have the mystery flavor is as they're switching from one flavor to the other, there's a period where both flavors are mixed together in the, their equipment. And so rather than throwing that out, they just say, well, it's a mystery flavor. So you'll end up with like half fruit punch, half orange, or uh, cotton candy and blueberry mixed together. And so it's cool because it's like, wow, this is, and luckily they don't pair up the, like, the really weird flavors like, like butterscotch and, and watermelon, like that wouldn't really work. Um, but that's what the dum-dum mystery flavor is all about. I tell you that because today is kind of a mystery flavor sermon. See, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, you know that we have sort of have an emphasis looking at the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that third member of the Trinity that, quite frankly, the Lutheran Church often overlooks uh, because we're a very educated, very academic uh, denomination. We like to wrap our minds around things, and the Holy Spirit isn't so good at getting anything wrapped around it. He's kind of a nebulous uh, idea that we can't really define in our mundane terms. Even when we see it in Scripture, talking about the Holy Spirit, they try and like throw metaphors. It's kind of like a dove, which we see here, kind of like a fire, kind of like a wind. More on that later. Uh, so obviously on Pentecost, we have to talk about the Holy Spirit. But starting next week, we're going into a new sermon series looking at prayer, specifically at the dangerous prayers that maybe we're willing to pray, but we aren't necessarily thinking about all the repercussions as to what that might be, uh, the, the prayers that we should be praying, but perhaps are a little too afraid to pray. So that's starting next week. So this is going to serve almost as an introduction for that, hence the mystery flavor. But before we go into that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance where we can come together and worship you to, to be present in your presence. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. Lord, as we celebrate Pentecost, I pray that we experience that again, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, would speak in us, would speak through us, would speak through me. Lord, just as all the people gathered around heard exactly what they needed to hear, I pray that the people who hear this message would hear your word, first and foremost, all the way through. Speak to each and every one of us as we submit ourselves to you. In your name we pray, amen. 
Uh, we are going to be looking at that Acts chapter 2, kind of going through it a little bit verse by verse. So if you want to grab the Bible from the pew there in front of you or your own Bible, turn to that Acts chapter 2. It starts right in the beginning with verse 1. Uh, if not, that's okay. Uh, I'll, it'll be pretty self-explanatory. But uh, Acts chapter 2, it's always good to crack open the Bible, right? Uh, Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 1, right off the bat, we see that it talks about at the time of Pentecost, people were gathered together, which seems odd because Pentecost as we know it, hasn't happened yet, like it's about to happen. So is it saying at the time where this thing that I haven't mentioned yet is about to happen, this is where they were? Um, no, it's actually referring to something that perhaps is a little less known uh, because the Christian tradition has taken over this. Uh, there was actually a Jewish festival on Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50. Um, and we, of course, associate it as 50 days after Easter, give or take a little bit. Uh, but let's not forget the fact that Easter happened around the same time or basically at the same time as Passover. So for the Jewish people, their Pentecost would have been 50 days after Passover. And, and they celebrated with kind of a unique festival um, that had a couple different names. Uh, Shavat is one of the names, Shavat. The other name is the Festival of the Weeks. Not Festival of the Week, like, hey, this week it's going to be this one. But the Festival of the Weeks. And there are a couple of different meanings behind this festival. Uh, the first is a celebration, kind of a worldly celebration of um, the harvest of wheat. The, the, this would have been the first harvest of wheat. And so they were celebrating that they had this. Interestingly, the first harvest of barley would have been at Passover. So you see those two different crops coming to fruition there. So they're celebrating that. It's kind of a time to come together. It's also a, a celebration traditionally of when Moses received the Ten Commandments, or the Torah, the law of God, uh, on Mount Sinai. And so they would come together and they would celebrate that. And I, I say come together because that's the crucial bit. Uh, this was a pilgrimage festival, which meant that people from all over the world, Jews, Israelites, however they wanted to find themselves, would come together to Jerusalem, which is how we find ourselves in our story of Pentecost and Acts with so many people from so many different backgrounds. At this point, the Israelites are just scattered all over the place. It talks about all the way from Asia, Egypt, all the way through, right? And so that's really, as they come together, this multitude of people, uh, they're coming actually to make an offering of their wheat, specifically their first fruits of wheat, which basically means like this was the first bit of crop that we got. And God, we are giving this to you to show our appreciation for what you have given us. Right? I, I always struggle with this idea of first fruits. Basically, it's saying this was the very first thing, and I'm trusting that there's going to be a second thing. It's like this. Like I, I like to grow uh, fruit and vegetables in my yard. I, I've got a tomato plant. And you nurture it, you wait for it to grow, all that kind of stuff. And when you get that first tomato and you're just, you go out there and you check it every day and it starts to get a little orange and finally it's red, you're like, yeah. Imagine taking that first tomato that you have nurtured and grown and offering it to God. And what you're doing is you're saying, I trust God that you'll provide another tomato on this plant. Now, we don't have wheat and barley, most of us, that we farm, but of course, we have our blessings in life, and that's that idea of offering our first fruits. We're saying, God, you've given me this. I trust that you're going to continue to give, right? And so they would come to the temple in Jerusalem to offer this first fruit of wheat. Now, it's no coincidence uh, that these two holidays, essentially, are coinciding. This idea of 
of the celebration of Moses receiving the law, as well as the Holy Spirit descending and speaking in this moment. Because if you think about it, uh, when Moses received the law, all the Israelites, all the people of God, they were all there. They were kind of contained in one place as they wandered through the desert. But then when we see in the New Testament, they're scattered all over the planet. And so when you are dealing with a group of people that are close together, you want to keep order, right? You want to, to give them ways to live. Otherwise, you're going to have calamity and chaos. But when you're scattered all over the world, you want to bring them back together. More on that later. Okay, so uh, that's just verse one. So let's keep going to verse two here. Uh, verse two through four, we start to see some signs of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said earlier, uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit is tough for us to comprehend at times. Uh, you often see the Holy Spirit described in a number of ways. In this particular instance, at the very beginning, we see that uh, the Holy Spirit is described as a sound like a mighty wind. Now, there's a tendency within the church, within theological circles that you're probably happily not part of, um, to, to take the miracles, to take the amazing mystical things in the Bible, and to make them as mundane and boring as possible. Uh, I actually, in my research on this, I saw that some have interpreted this mighty wind, this, this sound in the room, Merely being that there were a lot of people speaking in all sorts of different languages very loud, like being at Buffalo Wild Wings and all the TVs are going, right? That they're like, that's what it means. The sound like, a, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God. And there's scripture to back this up because there are a couple other times that the Spirit is referred to as wind. Uh, we actually see that the Spirit hovering over the waters like a dove, that there is wind over the waters at creation, um, and actually the word for wind is the same as the word for breath, is the same as the word for spirit in both Greek and Hebrew. In Greek, it's pneuma, and Hebrew, it's ruah. And those words mean all those things. And so there are some other instances of John chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows where it wants. The spirit blows where it wants. The spirit goes and leads as the spirit will. In 2 Timothy um, it's the scripture is referred to as God breathed. Essentially, the spirit inspires that pneuma at work there. But perhaps the most telling example is Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel has this vision of a valley full of dry bones, full of long dead things. And it says that a breath, a pneuma, a ruah, blows through and suddenly those old bones are brought back to life. Now, when it comes to what we're talking about here at Pentecost, we recognize that that vision from Ezekiel was messianic in nature, that the Messiah was going to be the one to bring this new life into the dead bones. And we look at the people of Israel, that's kind of what's happening. They've scattered all over the place. Perhaps they had lost their connection to God, their connection to their culture. They clearly had adopted other languages. Uh, perhaps they were just kind of going through the motions at this point, and suddenly things change. The church, the modern Christian church, is born through this rushing of the Spirit. This is, on Pentecost, essentially the church's birthday. We also, I personally pray sometimes that the Spirit would sweep through here like a mighty wind and wake us up. I pray that the Spirit would sweep through the modern church and wake us up because we've grown stagnant at times. 
And so we trust in God in that valley of dry bones, that prophecy that we see that the Messiah breathes new life. But then there's another illustration when it comes to the Holy Spirit of tongues of fire descending down upon them. It doesn't actually say tongues of fire, by the way. It says tongues like fire, like there are these little, little glimmers, and that's kind of how they explained it. The appearance of fire is significant in the Bible. You can probably think of a couple instances where fire stands out, the burning bush and Moses, right? That's the presence of God. Uh, as the Ark of the Covenant wandered through Israel, the pillar of fire showed that God was present there. Elijah, and as he was showing the, the prophets of all that, that his God is the God, what does he do? He lights a sopping wet altar on fire, showing God's presence. Perhaps the most connected to this particular passage of Pentecost is Luke chapter 3.16. Uh, John the Baptist says that, that Jesus will come, another will come, a Messiah will come, and will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's worth noting, by the way, that when this fire, the, these tongues of fire, these tongues, things that look kind of like fire descend, they descend upon the individuals, not just upon the group, right? Because you think back to the pillar of fire, and that, that is the presence of God for all the Israelites. And really, you saw throughout the Old Testament, that's how God kind of worked, was dealing with the people in mass, but then once we get into the New Testament, it seems like there's a shift from you are the people of God and you're supposed to follow this and, and you're supposed to represent this in the world to the individual person, to one-on-one. -on -one. That's how Jesus did his ministry. Of course, he spoke to thousands upon thousands at times, but, but so often the memorable things that are recorded in our Gospels were personal one-on-one -on -one connections. And that's how it has continued on. The Spirit descends upon each of us individually. And see, it's, it's an emphasis on our personal faith, our personal relationship with God. Then we get into the controversial bit about the speaking in tongues. Of course, within the Lutheran church, we kind of like try and look the other way on it um, because that seems like something that happens in other places. And yet, here it is in the Bible where suddenly the disciples were speaking other languages. I'm reminded of a story I heard recently uh, about a pastor who was out hiking. And as he's going along, he's by himself. He turns the corner and there's a big grizzly bear there. And he's terrified. He was shocked. And, and he said, uh, God, I need your presence. Please send your Holy Spirit right now. And in that moment, suddenly the sky lit up and he saw a tongue of fire come down, but it landed right above the bear. And the bear sat up and kind of looked shocked and looked at the pastor and suddenly bowed his head and folded his hands. And he said, Father, bless this meal that I'm about to eat. <laughs> See, what's happening with this speaking in tongues, and this is something that I have wrestled with, to be completely honest, is I, as a kid, I always thought like they each kind of chose a language and they suddenly were able to know Macedonian. They were suddenly able to know Egyptian. And like you had to like, okay, uh, I guess Peter, Peter's the one doing the Spanish. Okay, I'll get over there. And yet it doesn't say that, and the numbers don't really work out because there are more languages and nations mentioned than there are disciples. So it seems as though that somehow the disciples were talking, and, and somehow between their mouth and the ears of the listener, the language changed, and they were able to understand it. We don't comprehend how this happens. It's a miracle. But we trust that God did that. And we trust, quite frankly, that God can still do that, um, sometimes it looks a little more mundane, 
and that you're able to speak to somebody into their life condition, even though you've never experienced that. You speak to them in their intellect. You speak to them in their personality. Maybe you do actually speak and you can understand some form of communication, even though you bear different languages. I mean, just remember back to confirmation service where we had half the service in Vietnamese and we kind of, kind of figured out what was going on. See, the powerful thing about Pentecost is it's a reversal of Babel, right? That story of the Tower of Babel where, where after Noah, right, the humanity has been boiled down to just uh, eight people and suddenly God says, go and spread out and multiply, but they did just the opposite because that's what people do. And they stayed together and they created this, this town, this area, and they became great. And they decided with their greatness, rather than honoring God, rather than following what God had desired, they decided, you know what, let's build a big old tower. And so they built this tower and some note that the, even the materials they used were made by man. It wasn't stone provided by God. It was brick that they had to form themselves. It was tar that they had to put together, right? And they built this tower as a monument to their own greatness. Not acknowledging God, not recognizing God, not anything to do with God other than the fact that they're trying to reach him. And so what does God do? He says, I see that when they're together, they can do anything. And so he scatters the people, gives them different languages. He he it makes them ununited, essentially. And yet then at Pentecost, we see that come back together. We see somehow a common language is spoken that everybody can understand. We see that God says, at one point you were scattered. At one point you were far apart. At one point I had to scatter you because you were so focused on yourself. But now you need to be together. Now you need to be united. Now you need to understand the power of the gospel. Because that's what's preached. If you keep reading in that Luke cha- or the Acts chapter 2 reading, what Peter says later is pure, unfiltered gospel. He talks about, hey, you guys know about this Jesus of Nazareth. You've heard the stories. Well, he was great. He was just as great as you guys heard. And then he died. He was murdered at the hands of miserable people, of wicked people. But then God did something amazing and he brought him back to life so that we can be set free from death ourselves, so that we can know that we are loved, so that we can know that our sins are forgiven. That's the gospel and that's what Peter chose to say as he was able to speak to all these different people of different backgrounds and different languages. That's what he's saying to you today, the gospel. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, I've heard that before. I don't need to hear that. But see, God can speak to you. And trust me, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. There have been so many times where I'm like, that was just a terrible sermon. I don't know what I was writing. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was just absolute rubbish. And then inevitably afterwards, somebody's like, that changed my life. And I'm like, how? How was that terrible sermon good enough to change somebody's life? Because I know that the Holy Spirit can speak. Because I know that some of you are hearing something right now that just hits you right to your heart. Not because I wrote it that way. So okay, we have this this account of something that happened 2,000 plus years ago that has created lasting ramifications in our modern age. Let's take a look at a modern application. How can we do anything with this idea of Pentecost? Well, there are three things. One is we can look and see the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Right, We see that, that Jesus promised to his disciples that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they would be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And how? What were they supposed to do with that? They were going to go and share the gospel in Jerusalem, the town they were in, in Judea, the region they were in, the Samaria, the larger region they were in, to the very ends of the earth. Interestingly, here we are in Houston 2022, still talking about the same people. So I guess it worked. I guess they truly have spread it to the very ends of the earth. And that's true for you as well. The promise of the Holy Spirit that he will speak to you and through you. There are going to be times in your life where you endeavor a conversation that you're not sure what you're going to say. Maybe it's something to do with faith. Your, your neighbor notices that your car is gone every Sunday morning. Your, your barber asks, hey, you got any big plans tomorrow? Uh, your friend knows that you always go to church, and they're like, hey, well, why do you do that? And suddenly you're saying these things, and you've never really thought about your faith, and it's because the Holy Spirit can work within you. Maybe you're finally interacting with a neighbor, a family member, a former friend, and you're saying, hey, I'm really sorry for what's happened. And in your heart, you've thought of all these angry, vengeful things to say, but somehow you're showing mercy and grace and love. God can work in you and through you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. We also see the perspective of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can see into us, see our hearts, see our minds, see our thoughts. He is omniscient, right? He is the one that is able to speak into us, to put those thoughts in our heads. When we pray, God, give me a peaceful presence, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. But because of that, he knows about the doubts. He knows about that you've been sitting here in this sermon thinking about, this is all just a bunch of malarkey. What is this guy talking about? Why did I even wake up this morning? He knows as you read the Bible and you wrestle with those doubts and those questions. Here's the thing. When you come to church, it can get so easy to look around at all these amazing saints around you and think, I don't belong with them. They don't have the same doubts that I do. Want to bet? I know because I've talked to a lot of you and I know what you go through. I've talked to people who have been in church for decades upon decades and they still wrestle with certain parts of scripture that they just kind of skip over because they're afraid of the questions that may come from it. The Holy Spirit knows about those doubts and he can work within you. He can work to, to provide those questions. He wants you to know that you're not alone and that you're not wrong, you're not broken that the Holy Spirit wants you to know in the existence and the reality of a God who loves, who offers grace. That's why in Pentecost, he was able to, to provide the language for all the people because he realizes that to the very ends of the earth, not just in our city, not just in our, our state, not just in our country, but to the very ends of the earth are people who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear that you're not alone. That's the perspective of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the prayer of the Holy Spirit. The prayer that, that so often we don't even know what to say. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come and they said, hey, could you pray for this? And I said, yeah, let's, let's pray together. Would you like to pray? And they're like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to begin. I, I don't speak as eloquently as you do. But here's the thing. I want to read for you from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Verses 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Man, we've all been there. 
that moment of weakness, that moment where we think we just can't do it, we can't take another step, we can't keep going. The interest of the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't even know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I've been there. Where there weren't even words to describe where you're at. You just sit there and you just stare off into space and you say, God, where are you? And the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit steps in. The Spirit speaks for you. And he who searches your hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is that makes it feel like God is so far away, whatever it is that, that you just can't even put into words, the Spirit is there. He's always been there. Maybe there's too much noise to hear, right? Because it talks about how the wind filled the entire house. The, the Spirit knows what else is in your house. The other noise that's there, the other distractions, he knows about the sins, even the ones that you're like, man, I don't know that I want to confess that one. I like that one a little too much. He knows, he knows. And the Spirit desires to fill your entire house. The Spirit desires to push out all those lies of the world that say you're not good enough, that say this is really the way to find happiness. The Spirit provides us mercy. The Spirit provides us truth. The Spirit provides us the very faith that keeps us going. So let me just say this. If you've heard nothing else, hear this. No matter what you've been going through, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, God is with you. He's ready to welcome you home. He's ready for you to know what peace is, what hope is that can be found only in the gospel. The world's gonna throw so many lies at you and say, this is how you really find happiness. But truly, when you know that death has been defeated, when you know that the worst thing that this world can throw at you will fade away and you'll get to go to paradise because of nothing that you've done, oh, that's peace like you've never understood before. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, God loves you, and is with you. May the Spirit be with us and guide us every single day of our lives. His name we pray, amen.